Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live the First Amendment and Free Speech Podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Today I read the case Golson v. State, 667-SW2D168, Texas Court of Appeals, 1983. Whether you are an early riser or a night owl, we can all advance the First Amendment. So let us do that today. As I discuss this trial, get inspired to advance the First Amendment and anti-obscenity laws wherever you go. What happened here? The opinion says, quote, A jury found William T. Golson, appellant, guilty of promoting obscene material in violation of Texas Penal Code, annotated 4323 Vernon Subst. 1982 to 1983. In his appeal, he raised the seven grounds of error relating to the inaccuracies in the statement of facts, the constitutionality of various provisions in 4321 and 4323 of the Texas Penal Code, the adequacy of the affidavit upon which the information search warrant depended, and the sufficiency of the evidence concerning the act of the promotion of the material. Sufficiency of evidence relating to the finding that the material was obscene has not been raised on appeal, and so we decline to address that issue. End quote. They also... Note, quote, Appellant is owner of the Bel Air newsstand in Harris County. On October 15, 1979, undercover officer R.E. Thompson of the Houston Police Department went to the newsstand and purchased VHS video cassettes entitled Behind the Green Door and One Way at a Time from a Clerk. Officer Thompson then returned to the Vice Squad office with cassettes and discovered the department's video machine was a Betamax model, which was not compatible with the VHS cassettes. He returned the Bel Air he returned to the Bel Air newsstand later that same day and exchanged the VHS cassettes for Betamax versions of One Way at a Time and Barbara Broadcast. At the time of the exchange, appellant was standing near the clerk and was talking on the telephone. He interrupted his conversation to authorize the transaction, and he remained nearby when the clerk paid an $18 refund. In April 1980, appellant was charged by information with the misdemeanor offense of obscenity, and specifically with promoting or, or selling obscene material with the knowledge of its content. Barbara Broadcast was the only obscene material mentioned in the information. End quote. What do you think about that, friends? What do you think about that? Have any of you old-timers seen One Way at a Time, Behind the Green Door, or Barbara Broadcast? What are these films about? What types of activities occur in them? Do any of you remember Betamax? That was a little before my time. But I remember Mad Magazine made fun of Betamax. What was the punishment for our friend here? It says, quote, Appellant was found guilty as charged and was sentenced to one year in jail and fined $2,000. The record on appeal consists of 18 volumes, including a 10-volume statement of fact and six volumes of exhibits, end quote. $2,000. I plugged that into the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI inflation calculator. So today that's approximately $6,890.98. One year in jail is worse than white beaters often get. I don't like those punishments, and I hope you don't like them either. If you do, you suck. The volume thing, I'm not sure about that. 
I don't know what they mean by volume. 18 volumes sounds like a lot, but how much is in a volume? That is something I don't know. It'd be interesting to learn that fact. As mentioned in the introduction here, a large part of this trial was dealing with constitutionality of the law. One was the definition of patently offensive, which is something we've seen in a number of other trials. Another one was the difference between tolerance and decency. The Another issue was the definition of promote. One was about, quote, pres presuming to know the content and character of the item rather than not presuming to know the content and character just by selling it. Also, there was an issue with the trial transcript. They say, quote, prior to perfecting his appeal to this court, appellant had considerable difficulty in obtaining a statement of facts because the court reporter became ill after the trial and was unable to promptly transcribe her notes. The court issued a writ of mandamus in January 1982 and ordered her to provide the statement of facts on or before February 11, 1982. Appellant filed a second objection to the appellant record. The court reporters found a contempt of court on March 9, 1982, and part of the statement of facts was filed in the trial court on April 12, 1982. In May, appellant again objected to the record because of numerous spelling errors in the transcription. End quote. Unfortunately, the court here didn't find that persuasive that the appellant was trying to argue because there were errors in the report that made it invalid. They say, quote, we do not find the typographical errors in the statement of facts to be so serious as to render the document unintelligible, end quote. Also in this trial... As mentioned in the introduction, they had the appellant had an issue with the way the affidavit was presented. This is something I've never seen before in one of these obscenity trials. They were saying the person who did it was invalid. The court said, quote, in the first place, an information need only be based on a sworn complaint by some credible person other than the prosecutor, end quote. So unfortunately, he didn't get that point. The appellant wanted them to look at the material to decide whether it was obscene or not. So they say, quote, Appellant contends that we erred in failing to make an independent evaluation of whether Barbara Broadcast is obscene. He cites Andrew v. State, Longoria v. State, Hunt v. State as authority for the proposition that notwithstanding a jury verdict, finding certain material to be seen in an appellate court must always reconsider the material, end quote. But they didn't find this persuasive. They say, quote, Appellant has made an issue of sufficiency of the evidence in this court. Appellant has not made an issue of the sufficiency of the evidence in this court, either in his grounds of error or in his motion for rehearing. He merely asserts that we are, in all instances, in all instances, obliged to make an independent determination of whether the material is obscene. 
we disagree, and under authority of Davis versus State, we decline to do so. Motion for rehearing overruled. End quote. So he didn't get his rehearing. Also, they say, quote, having found no error, we affirm the judgment of the trial court. End quote. Our friend here didn't win, but he tried. So we value his contribution. William T. Golson hopefully did not commit a heinous offense. I don't know whether he did or not for sure. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he didn't. If he did, then he disqualified himself from entering First Amendment heaven. Giving him the benefit of the doubt, let's assume he is either in First Amendment heaven already if he's died, or he's headed to, for, towards First Amendment heaven if he's still alive. And that's where we need to head. We need to do things like he did by attacking constitutionality of Texas Penal Code 4321 and 4323 and by challenging evidence, challenging the record, challenging what we can find because we need to overturn these laws and we need to fight when people want to declare things obscene. So let us do that. How will you advance the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and third parties today? Long live the First Amendment and free speech. Goodbye.